Hello, Fancast fans. This is Rebecca. And Brandon. We have a bit of a different episode for you today. Uh, what we have for you in this special Xmas season is an extended interview with a very special guest. We are going to split it into two parts because it was just so long that we didn't have the heart to cut any of it out. Uh, we hope you enjoy it, especially if you've got long journeys ahead of you. Yeah. May the spirit of survival be with you. <laughs> Keep it fresh. Keep it fresh. Keep it fresh. It is a period of civil discourse. Fans of the Mission to Zix podcast have banded together to devote even more time to the Mission to Zix podcast by talking about it in a long-format fan podcast. This is the Zix Fancast. to the Zix Fancast X-Mars special. In this episode, we will be talking about all of season one of the wonderful science fiction podcast, Mission to Zix, with our very special guest, Alden Ford. Hello. Thanks hey. for having me. Very exciting. I'm, I'm very excited. Yes. You're a big fan of ours. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> big fan of you guys. Big fan of the show. Big fan of Zix. Uh, big fan of Zix. I would Zix. hope so. Fan cast. Yeah, I just, the whole world, I love it. And of course, right. we're your regular hosts, Rebecca and... Brandon. Cool. Okay, so um, before we really sort of get into it, we did have a few questions for you, Alden. Yeah. Um, how did the podcast get started? Oh, uh, well, um, so the, I'll try to keep it relatively brief, but... Uh, you do I'm not, not have to. I'm not good at that. <laughs> so uh, so all of the, all of the six uh, cast, core cast members came up at um, UCB, the Upright Citizens Brigade Theatre, in New York, um, and we've all sort of known each other. All of us have known pretty much all but one or two of us in the group. We all kind of knew of each other, um, and we'd all, all met except, like, I'd never met Seth, and Jeremy had never met uh, Mujan or something like that. There, there were a couple different connections that hadn't been made, but we, we all knew at least two or three of the others in the group. The same and, and circles and whatnot. Yeah, and, you know, we all came up at around the same time, um, through the classes and um, you know on various teams in at the theater um, over the years and you know when we started the show we had all you know we'd all been around the theater for eight or ten years at that point um, and so Winston uh, and I had done a podcast several uh, years back which was um, just like a hangout like a music podcast we talked about music that was terrible um, <laughs> sure. that we that we liked that nobody else liked and um, it was really fun to do, but we, you know, we didn't really have any distribution. Like, we never really got the show out there. And, like, we really enjoyed doing it and working together. But, um, you know, we did that for maybe a year and a half or so. And when we stopped doing it, we were like, you know, we should do another podcast. Like, we always thought, you know, let's do another podcast again sometime. So a few years later, um, I had been listening to a lot of uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern. Nice. Um, and for me, as an improviser... I sort of felt like Magic Tavern was like a sort of untapped, um, uh, like a untapped uh, form. Like a new genre form of, almost, yeah. Yeah, uh, well, and and especially not only just for just narratively a new genre, but it really felt like a new avenue for improv because improv, 
you know, the downside of improv is that it's so ephemeral. I mean, that's part of what's so magical about it. But the um, the sort of, um, you know, temporary nature of improv makes it really special if you're in the audience for it. But it makes it really hard to um, record it's, uh, or film. And it's really hard to, um, you know, to build anything that, that really lasts. Um, and so... With a podcast, obviously, Comedy Bang Bang had been going on for years, and any number of dozens of different, you know, comedy podcasts had been happening at the time. Um, But a lot of them were sort of like Comedy Bang Bang, where you'd see characters return, but there wasn't really a universe that was being built. And so, like, I started listening to Magic Tavern, and I was like, oh, of course, that seems like such a, that's like such a brass ring for um, improv to be able to say, like, oh, this, uh, this satisfying, you know, uh, joke that, or this character that I've come up with, this interest, interesting game or scenario, like, why do we have to throw that away at the end of every show? Like, why can't yeah, we just, just keep going? Keep because, the canon or whatnot. Yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, there's something, you know, it's like the problem, the reason, obviously you can't do that in a live performance because you can't, um, the audience is always going to be different. You can't expect the same you know, 120 people to come back every single week and watch yeah. your Im- watch you do an improv show. And if anyone new comes in, they won't have any idea what's happening. So, you know, so the idea of like, oh, you know, if you have, if you're recording it and it's a, in a, you know, an audio format, um, you're able to kind of keep building it. And then combined with all the stuff that podcasts do really well, which it's a very intimate medium. And also you can edit without... Um, it being super obvious that you're editing. The thing about improv on stage is that when you're there and you're in the audience, like you don't think about the pace of a show. You just think about whether it's funny. And once you listen to it in a podcast or you watch it on TV, it suddenly stops being, um, you suddenly start caring about the pace because that's a format that you're, you're usually invested in time and timing and you know, all of that. So it's like, that's why, you know, for better or worse, the only real successful televised, improvised um, show has been something like uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway, which their whole thing is how fast it is and how limited the scope of each individual game is. There's no real long-form improv that's really ever taken shape on TV. And the reason is because in order to make it feel like TV, you have to edit it, which then it stops being improv. Um, or it stops feeling yeah. feeling like improv. But the thing about doing a podcast and the thing that the Magic Tavern guys do really well and the thing that we really started our show trying to do is, like, what's the best way to have it feel like improv, have it be improv, but also, you know, um, streamline it and pick up the pace and cut the stuff that's not working and make it really feel like it's carefully created and, and curated and, um, you know, and, and made with the same amount of, love and and um and time and dedication that you'd put into anything else you'd put out there for the world uh in a recorded format that has a permanent record (laughs) do you know what i mean that's the other thing about that's the thing about improv is that if it's like if it's if it's rough around the edges or if if something doesn't make sense nobody is there to tell you to call out your you know um uh you know like hey that didn't make sense you gotta redo yeah exactly 
So the other part of it is, and I'm sorry, I know I've been talking for like 45 minutes now, but like the, the um, <laughs> but the other thing about, you know, about improv that really lends itself to something like this is that it's like when you see a great long form improv show, you see all these jokes start to come back. And it's like, if you watch a half hour improv set, if you watch a Herald or a, you know, Armando or something at the end of that set, when, the, when the improvisers are bringing back jokes that they came, that, that came up just briefly at the beginning of that half hour set it's like fucking magic it's like oh my god how did they remember that like I didn't even remember that and then they said it and then I remembered that they said that and it's like so amazing that they've been doing this all off the cuff for half an hour and that they still remembered every single tiny little detail or so it seems you know um yeah there's some so, jokes that, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, no, oh there's God, some yeah. jokes that I'm like, they must have been thinking of that the entire time. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Well, and, and I will say, you know, a- after having, you know, mostly done live improv for the last, you know, 15 years, um, I can say that it's definitely not uh, usually something that's in the front of your mind the whole time. It's really about kind of, you know, getting the practice in to be looking for those connections and being able to say, like, okay, you know, the first scene I did about this one thing, the second scene I'm going to go out of my way to make it about com- something completely different. And then in the third scene, I'm going to try to figure out how to connect those two things by remembering the things that I thought were, f- you know, the, the things that stuck out to me about both of those scenes. Sure, yeah. So it's like, you know, if you have two characters that don't know each other and then you're like, oh, I could make this character, bring these two characters together, something like that. So, so the thing is that that's so magical when you see that in an improv show that to a certain extent, like a show like Magic Tavern or, or like Zix is kind of about being like, how long can we do that? Like how many times can we, how far can we go? How big of a world can we make where those, those connections continue to be satisfying and, and feel like sort of magic improv moments. Um, so anyway, that's anyways, all very, yes. I will say also, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. So, so that was sort of when I was listening to uh, Magic Tavern was kind of like thinking about what we could do. I kind of thought, um, that was kind of what I was thinking from an improv perspective. So I was like, I really want to put together, you know, a group of people who are incredible improvisers that, that value that same sort of, um, you know, uh, all of those same things about what makes improv good and what makes sci-fi good and uh, all of that stuff. And so um, so I, I, I reached out to Winston, who he and I had been talking already at that point about uh, doing another podcast and Jeremy who I had gotten hooked on magic tavern and the three of us kind of started thinking about like, who are the, who are the people that we would want to form like a little, little group with and really kind of get, um, get something off the ground. So then it kind of just led, for, led, uh, from there to, you know, us recording the first episode, which was the unaired pilot, which didn't actually get released to the public. Oh. That was what we sent to, um, networks like audio boom to, um, uh, to sort of pitch the idea of the show, but it was a lot less produced and a lot less um, good. Well, the show ended up being. I, I will say, I'm sure there would be interest in, in hearing <laughs> about that on like some sort of like Patreon tier somewhere. But yes, know. there is a, there is one scene from the that we did release on Patreon, which is um, a totally different um, introduction to the characters. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, it was uh, it was the it was our sort of intake interviews where it was a series of scenes in Nermit's office. Um, and so we were all meeting Nermit face to face, which is kind of fun now that we went so long without ever having met Nermit. Like it's fun that we originally envisioned us all kind of crammed into his tiny little office. Um, so that is kind of delightful for me, but it also just, the pace was, was 
wrong and and you know a lot of the vocal effects and the sound effects and stuff those were ones that Seth and I did that was before Shane um, started mixing for us so it has a totally different sound well look by it, different it I mean on the worse. network I guess so <laughs> yes yes yeah so where did the idea for Zix actually come from then so um, I mean obviously you know we we definitely did not set out to do uh, you know uh, a sister show to Magic Tavern at all I mean we it was um you know, for me, I'm, I'm a huge sci-fi fan, but I'm also a huge fantasy fan. And like listening to Magic Tavern, I was like, fuck, why didn't I think this is such a great idea? <laughs> and so so for me, it was like, well, you know, it, it was more that Magic Tavern really opened that door to that genre. that, that Like you said, Brandon, that, that sort of genre or, or uh, that medium, that format of, of improv. And so I was like... Um, I was like, what's something that I really feel passionate about that I know everything about that I could do, that a world that I could live in as an improviser and not feel like I was constantly searching for specifics? Because Magic Tavern is amazing and I usually understand most of the references, but it's <laughs> like, like Adel Refai is like a, like a legit Harry Potter fanatic. And <laughs> so like for him, and I think, uh, and I mean, obviously um, Matt Young is like a huge Shakespeare guy and like a huge like Tolkien guy and like, so for them, like, they can live in that world and come up with all of these, like, wizard specifics and magic specifics that, like, just feel effortless and make this world, like, it, their yeah, own. Well, and so I was like, what's that for me? And I like, Star Wars is that for me. I'm just, like, a complete Star Wars geek. And uh, so it's Winston. And Jeremy's a big Star, Star Trek fan. And, like, um, and so we were like, oh, this is, we can do this. Like, we, you know, we can, we can live in that world and it doesn't feel like we're searching for, um, you know, that you're, a, you're a foundation. the foundation's yeah. already there. Yeah, yeah. So um, so that's sort of how it started. We were like, well, we should do something in, in the sci-fi world because that's really what we're, we're best at. Um, and then we kind of kicked around some ideas of like, what's the best way, what's the best format where we could introduce guests every episode, but we don't, it's not super plot heavy because we want it to be kind of, at first anyway, we want it to kind of be episodic. Um, we want to be able to have each guest kind of uh, pitch their own episode, basically. Um, sure. And then we kind of build a canon around that because we thought, you know, it'd be, it'd be great. Obviously, we want to have continuity in the end. Um, yeah. but do But being able to say like, you know, Connor, for example, Connor Ratliff, um, he had the pleasure, the Magnifico pleasure yes. planet idea. And that was the kind of thing. And Sashir was like, oh, her her idea initially was, um, her pitch initially was like Fern Gully, basically. And it didn't end up being Fern Gully, but like that was her, she was like, I want to be the fairy from Fern Gully who shrinks you down to like teach you a lesson. Um, and <laughs> uh, And so that didn't end up really happening, but that was kind of what, that was our um, jumping off point. Sure. And so all of those things, we were like, we just want to give you the episode. We'll play the same characters, but like, we'll let the world kind of coalesce around those first, you know, half dozen or so episodes, and we'll see where it's pointing us. So we're like, what's the most like modular, like open-ended idea? And we're like, okay, well, what if it's a team of people just going from planet to planet, and then the planets can be whatever they want to be, and then yeah. it feels like a nice, you know, we get the crew thing, which feels a little Star Trekky, but also we can make it a little Star Warsy. The planets are very away missions, very TNG, um, that can be either like social commentary like worlds, or they can be like Star Star Wars worlds where there's some adventure happening there we have to take pl- take part in. So yeah, we just kind of tried to keep it as open ended as possible. Um, and like, what are all the 
what are like the big sci-fi tropes we all really like and how do we make it make them make them specific so we can play fun characters and then what's actually interesting is it's funny for me to even think about this because it's so crazy to imagine that we'd ever play any characters than the characters we're playing but like we all got in a room the six of us and this was before we'd really talked about anything except the pitch that it was going to be a crew going to different planets that was pretty much all we had established before we got got in the same room together and then we were like okay like what do we need we need like the guy we need like the main the audience surrogate we need like the muscle we need the droid um and uh Mujan had pitched playing the ship, which I was like, oh, I hadn't even thought about that. Like the sh- I thought we needed, a sh- we needed a ship's computer, but I'd imagine that sort of being like a Winston character, like a, um, just like a, you know, we talk to them every, every sure, year. Sure, yeah, like that would um, be the droid, essentially. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, and we were kind of like, do we need the ship if we have the droid, you know? So um, we'd kind of laid out these kind of broad strokes characters. And then we kind of... I wouldn't say we drew straws, but we, we definitely were sort of like, okay, well, so who wants to play the droid? And, and Jeremy was like, I feel like I'd probably be best suited for that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we kind of did that around with all the characters where I was like, you know, I'd, I'd probably be, I'm probably best suited to play the guy who doesn't know what's going on because I don't <laughs> usually. And so, so it kind of, you know, and, and Winston was really excited about, I remember when we went into this, Winston being like, I'd really like to have this as being like a portfolio piece for like voiceover work because I don't do a lot and I'd like to do more. And like, I'd love to have, I'd love to be able to play lots of different characters. And I was like, sure, man, whatever, you know, <laughs> and like it's become sure. like <laughs> more uh, yeah, exa- characters for exactly. us. No. <laughs> but like, that's sort of how it felt at first. I was like, all right, well, I mean, like Winston, I like you being able to play multiple characters, but like, are you sure you don't want to play like a main character? Like, I don't want to run the risk of like never seeing you or never seeing your characters again. And of course, as we all know, like he's the fucking cement that holds the show together. Oh like all of his, all of his auxiliary characters are like build out the world in, in such a crazy way. And of yeah. course, you know, the, his recurring characters like Clint and Pino are like incredible. So yeah, no, like I, I will it really say worked the, out. Yeah. The Clint's are one of the things that pulled me in like of everything. It's just <laughs> totally. so, so ridiculous, like hilarious. Like yeah. he's like, soldiers that are just like oh hey get down on the ground you know yeah yeah like amp it up to a 10 immediately yeah Yeah, winston's very good at that he's very good at uh jumping to ultimate status in every scene but uh yeah so that was something that like that's a i think i told you this becca at some point um because i think you maybe texted or you messaged me on discord to ask why winston wasn't in um the sashir episode and that's such another crazy thing that I can't even imagine now is that like Winston was like, are there going to be Clint's in this episode? And I was like, I don't think so. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to go. And so <laughs> he just wasn't in that yeah. episode. Um, and that was like back when we thought we didn't really know what it was going to be, you know? And like, I don't think we all felt that. Um, and like certain, I mean, the idea of Winston being like, I'm just not going to be in this episode is insane now. Yeah, um, like- but at the time, at the time it was sort of like, we were kind of trying to figure out, like, is this sort of, are we are we treating this more like a s- traditionally scripted thing where if you're not in the episode, you're not in the episode, and if you are, you are, and that's it. Um, and now we, I feel like we've really settled into, you know, this thing where Seth and Mujan and Winston are fleshing out every other character in the world, and that feels like such a necessary, like, vital part of the show. Yeah, um, all three of them, like, a lot of the, like, they're, everyone's amazing like improviser on the show i'll say that and like the patience everyone has to like not like because to me like i'm i'm a i would be a terrible improviser because i'm always just like i i 
would laugh so hard at just a Clint jumping out out of nowhere or yeah. something like I that. I mean, I do that. I mean, for what it's worth, I do that all the time. So you don't have to, yeah. <laughs> you don't have to worry too much, but you'd probably be all right. But um, yeah, no, the, what I was going to say, like, everyone has, like, the patience of a saint just like, oh, I got a character here. And, like, everyone jumps in it. Nothing mm-hmm. feels, like, terribly forced as far yeah. as that goes, you know. Yeah. I remember there was one blooper where, like, I think uh, Seth jumped in on, like, the, the bargy dating one. <laughs> Right. That that was in a blooper, and that was still, like, hilarious, and I totally got that, but, like... <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I had a plan. Just let me get to it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, I was trying to do a slow burn, and he really jumped in. Um, yeah, so that's really funny. I had forgotten about that scene. But, yeah, I do feel like we really play well together. It's also nice that we can all see each other when we record. Like, we record in a big room kind of facing each other, so it really yeah. makes things a lot easier because we can... It's a lot more like being on stage in that way where you're not um, you're not sort of stopping and starting waiting for other people to to jump in or not. It definitely you can kind of take those nonverbal cues and stuff. And of course, you know, sometimes it's verbal. Sometimes it's like Dar enters and it's like, oh, right. OK. You know, and then we just cut that out or we replace it with a sound. Sure. Yeah. No, I figured so, there's plenty of that. And yeah. improv plus editing is fantastic, especially just like if you've got if you're establishing Canada, if somebody does say something that doesn't make sense or like no we've established that doesn't exist or something like that then yeah uh, that's super it's super helpful to be able to do that and it's also um pretty early on once we realized how how like tight and slick we had the opportunity to make the show um we were like oh we should not be precious about (laughs) whether we're being pure improvisers in this because ultimately Improv is amazing, but also scripted comedy is amazing too. And so, you know, it's like there's there's no reason not to use the best parts of both of those. And so yeah. that's why it's like for me, I'm like, if it, I mean, as an example, like if we improvise the opening crawl, it would be terrible. Like hmm. it, 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 you have to you have to have the real stuff so that the you know, like the the well it's thought kind of, out, yeah, the glue you know, that uh, kind of holds the yeah, like you in place. you have to kind of well, and 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 similarly, it's like when when Shane goes in and adds all the sound effects and stuff, it's like he has to play it totally straight, or else it's um, <laughs> or else it, it it doesn't it doesn't um make the improv shine really. It, it sort of makes it feel um uh, like it's all like we're all kind of fucking around yeah um, it, it, so, it doesn't feel like a wacky adventure it feels like people yeah, exactly. are like fucking around in a very serious world you know right right yeah and and i think that that's something that if you're going to do genre you kind of have to do it right i mean i think that's why um so much you know the all the best genre stuff uh genre comedy is all stuff that like at first glance is indistinguishable from i mean it's like you know galaxy quest or something it's like galaxy quest is like a great sci-fi movie you know it's like all the beats are there all the characters are there like the scenario the scenarios are exactly (laughs) what you expect it's just turned on its head a little bit yeah and so like and the same thing with you know um even something well i mean it's obviously it's like the huge thing that's the huge thing about rick and morty is that like rick and morty is one Hmm. of the best sci-fi shows that's come out in years and it's like it's a comedy and it's sort of a parody of, of, of sci-fi shows, but like it only succeeds if it, if it holds together on that level yeah. as well. It's, and so it's that a was a good sci-fi show for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that um, we sort of 
realized a few episodes in was we were like, if this is really going to last, it's going to be something that's satisfying for listeners and satisfying for us. Like it can't just be what crazy planet are they going to go to next that maybe only has one person living on it. You know what I mean? Like we can only do that so many times Mm -hmm. before we're like, what are they doing this for? Or like, what's, when are they going to realize that the Alliance is bad or, or whatever, you know? And like you want to be the, the better the show is, the more you care about the characters and the more you are invested in the characters growth and success. True. So that's something I think that we really tried to, we, we still try to keep a real light touch with that. that. Like we don't, I loved the last two or three episodes of season two where, you know, Eh, the plot. plot, (laughs) Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I'm not like, you know, patting my back. I just mean like, that was as a, as a, as a, you know, creator, performer, editor like it really i really enjoyed those well and I, I just liked being like oh after 14 episodes of like you know going from planet to planet it's great to be like here's three episodes where it's like the ball is rolling there's this big fucking you know thing that's about to happen it's going to happen whether we fuck around or not like at the end of the episode we're closer to that thing happening than we were at the beginning and there's no stopping it and like that's a fun thing to it's a fun thing to improvise around and it's also just a fun gear change to be like, okay, you know, we, we did the thing where we went to the breakup planet and like that, that totally was self, you know, self-sufficient. And now we have this thing where it's like, our characters are going to change. There's no getting around that. And so like, how do we do that and still feel true to the show? So I like being able to do both. Um, I think if it was just a plot based show, I think it would be really hard to make and I think it'd be harder to follow and harder to just yeah. jump into and enjoy. But I feel like if two seasons in, we were still um, working for the the Alliance and Nermit was still like, hey, we don't know what's going on on this planet. Go find out what the deal is. Like, I think that would be, people would want something more. Or at least we would want something more. Well, I yeah. think other people would want it too. I will say, like, as far as, like, plot progression and stuff like that, like, nothing feels forced at the end. It all feels like, oh, and it was, like, kind of all leading up to this, but not in any, like, heavy-handed way. And I will say, like, one thing that I think you guys do that better than Magic Tavern, to be perfectly Mm. honest, because Magic Tavern kind of feels like, oh, shit, we forgot to advance the plot, and then (laughs) they do that. (laughs) Yeah. All of a sudden. yeah, I mean, I think I think that it's sort of become a running joke with Magic Tavern. Like, I think that they kind of like pulling the you know pulling the football out from under the That's fair. Uh, audience um, because you know they've established that you know Usador doesn't really know what he's doing and and that uh, that Arnie is super lazy and that Chunt is just a nihilist and so it's like it sort of is true to the show for them never really to do anything. But I think you're right. I think people are thirsty for that, and I think I think they are too. Honestly, I think they're starting to try to. You know, you you can hear them kind of trying to figure out different ways to to move things, whether it's moving forward or just you know into a different a uh, you know a different um, world than they were in before. So um, I'm glad that they're doing that. I remember the first time when they revealed that um, Tim Sniffen is actually like a mm. character who's on a spaceship. I was like, oh my god! You know, I was like, oh, this is amazing. What are we gonna? When are we gonna learn about this dude? And like, that's such a fun that those bombs are so fun to drop i think i think that they uh they do that really well yeah so i guess they are also sci-fi kind of i mean yeah yeah exactly uh i think you're yeah there's um yeah i wonder how i wonder how far they're going to end up going with that i know that they've done quite a bit with it already but i wonder if they yeah, I wonder what, just, what the what the goal is there. Let's just switch over to hello from the magic podcast real quick. Yeah, good, <laughs> good good good. <laughs> now we're talking. All right. 
But yeah, oh yeah, uh, I didn't mention this before. Uh, who knew Shane, and when did he pop in? I guess. Yeah, so Shane, um, Shane was a guy I'd worked with before. So so we record the podcast, or we recorded most of the first season anyway, at um, my friend Eric's uh, music studio, Braun Braun Studios, and Shane, uh, I knew through through Eric, but at the time I just knew him as an engineer. Um, he was the engineer for those sessions because Eric was out of town, mm. um, and he didn't have any interest in our podcast. So he was like, you can use our studio, but, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be there. Um, no, he's, he's a cool guy, but he was like, yeah, no, Shane's going to be your engineer. So, um, and Shane is like the nicest, coolest dude. So we were very, very lucky to have him. But after we actually got the show, got picked up and we started recording the, the actual show, um, we made some changes to the pitch of the show and, you know, a few little tweaks. So we kind of had to start back at the beginning. And so we went back in, uh, when we went back in to record, you know, episode 101, um, I think after that one, or maybe after a couple of them, um, Shane was like, who's mixing this for you? And I was like, uh, probably Seth and me. Uh, and he was like, uh, you know, if you want, um, I, I've never done anything like this before, but I, I like the show and I think it'd be really fun to do. So um, if you want, I'll just mix the first one for you. You can see if you like it and we'll go from there. And I was like, um, sure, man, you know, whatever. Uh, it sounds good. I mean, like, it's less work for Seth and me. And, you know, obviously, you know what you're doing more than we do. But, like, he hadn't ever mixed anything before. I mean, he'd mixed a lot of music. Um, and he's a huge sci-fi uh, nerd as well. But um, he's he's mostly a music producer and a, and a musician and an engineer. Um, and so it was something that he was excited about, like, learning about, you know, sort of um, learning as he as he did it. And I was like, sure, great, yeah, I'm sure it'll be, I'm sure it'll be better than whatever we can do, without any idea of how fucking like I mean, next <laughs> level all of his shit is gonna was gonna be. Yeah. yeah, and so, so that was huge. I mean, it was huge to have him um, offer to do that and to do it and continue to do it and continue to. I mean, every episode he does is. I was gonna say like the last. Stuff like the um, the like alternate theme during the Tiny Toots episode, it yeah. just like blew me away. I'm yeah. like, holy! <laughs> yeah, well, and and the and the Dependence Day, uh, yeah, oh yeah, song, which was absolute. It was so the Dependence Day episode was pretty straightforward because there weren't a whole lot of scene changes and there wasn't a whole lot of crazy shit happening. And also, it was just like a, you know, Shane didn't have a lot of um, of like day job stuff to do that week. And so he kind of got an early jump in the episode. And like Sunday before the episode came out, he's like, so I may have gone a little crazy. And <laughs> Alta and I recorded this song. Um, and he was like very sheepish about it. And he was like, I just thought maybe it could be kind of in the background, like at the end, like if there's like a tailgate for the fireworks fireworks show. And so he sent this song. And I was like, Shane, this is fucking amazing. I was like, what are you, why were you shy about this? I was like, this is the coolest shit I've ever heard. Yeah. Um, it's so good. Um, and it's so like fully realized and it's also like the funniest part about it is that I'm like well of course he was sheepish about it like he tossed it off because he's like because that's what he had done for 10 years but like he's a music engineer like yeah, a music like, producer so it's like for him to throw it throw together like a fully realized like track uh, that was for him being like oh, I took a few hours knocked it out I was like oh my god um, but yeah no he's he's a legitimate genius for sure yeah, no, like gold medal for Shane. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think that pretty much catches us up with the with the genesis of this of the show, but I don't know if you I don't know. Oh, yeah. did I skip so, over anything? 
I think that's pretty much. I mean, that, that pretty much goes for like how it was created and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want one thing I wanted to say is like the kind of thing you guys in Magic Tavern are doing are kind of like a modern like take on the like sci-fi and such as well, uh, mm. sci-fi fantasy because it's in like traditional one like it's a lot of it's like with like speaking from the for you guys you're speaking from the voice of like a modern day person like we, we say like plaque is like the voice of the audience a little bit trying to figure out what's going on in this thing so like right. just being like carried along like same with like arnie is the voice of the audience mm. because you know yeah just trying to yeah. be like let's get to the bottom of this crazy like nonsense going on right here yeah and they both really... have to be they all both have to be idiots in their world because <laughs> yeah because we're idiots in that world and they have to be us and sometimes they're asking very legitimate questions. <laughs> yes, but and it's are like, immediately shit on for doing so. Yeah, yeah. But you could also see how that would be horribly offensive. But you also are like, yeah, I get why you'd ask that question. <laughs> right. Well, it's funny because I think you know. Yeah, I, I think the the especially because they're both improvised podcasts. Like, I think the comparison between Pleck and Ar- Arnie is uh, pretty. You know, like it, it, it's very obvious the connection between them. But it's like if you think about any, uh, you know, any genre-heavy uh, show, there's always that guy, um, yeah, or or girl. Uh, you know, it's like uh, Philip J. Fry or I mean Luke Skywalker. Like Luke, Luke is an idiot in that first movie. Like he's a legitimate <laughs> fool, uh, and everybody's like, "Why don't you know this?" Um, like, like Han Solo is like, "You don't know what you're doing." Um, and so, uh, yeah, no, so, right. so yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tried and true. I mean, it's not it's, only it's a bit of a trope, I guess, but it's, yeah, well, I, I mean, I, I don't, yeah. I mean, I was going to say it's not only a trope, but it's also, I think it's a necessary part of any I mean, new, I any new sci-fi property is that you need to be able to say like, you need to have somebody being like, how the fuck does this work? What does this button do? (laughs) Plek as a young farm boy out of yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, definitely Plek was like that. The backstory of Plek was definitely like a like a reference to Luke Skywalker, but he also he does the same thing for the same reason, which is that like he has to be an idiot so that the audience doesn't feel like an idiot. Yeah, no, that that's a great point actually. Yeah. Um. But anyway, so um. So yeah, yeah. In that way, Arnie and I are Arnie and Pleck rather uh, <laughs> are very similar. Yeah. Um, Acting? No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's very. Oh, I I stretch myself real hard on this show. <laughs> I definitely am glad that I chose to play Pleck way, way back at the beginning because I it, I quickly immediately realized like I'm like I can't generate shit the way that these guys do. <laughs> I'm so much better no. at being like why. Why is this happening? Then I am. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, Seth, Winston, Mujan, like, I, I mean, everyone but me is so good at being like this. Here's here's this item that exists in this world. I'm like, wow, okay. I didn't, would never have thought of that. Um, they're very good. Um, everyone's very good. Everyone's very good. But uh, I guess you want to. We could start going through some of the episodes and some of the questions we had. Yeah. All right. Secrets. All right, so I guess I'll just uh, take it. So the first episode, you mm. know, all hail the Federated Alliance, um, with the Kula and the Kulata and such. Yes, yes. So I was astounded that you get like the Kulata joke that was just dropped in there. Yeah, the frozen Kula. Was that? I want to no. know. No, I, I, I swear on. Uh, 
whatever um, rod sp- space tome <laughs> uh, i swear on the ancient texts of the zimas the uh, galactodomicon that was that was absolutely out of the blue from ali and we all fucking lost our shit we we cut like 30 seconds of laughter i think we had to completely stop and start again <laughs> um yeah i think I, honestly i think that it was like it, that's a perfect example that joke of like the thing where we weren't thinking about it in advance but it was just that like ali is so on top of it and like the the stars aligned in that moment she was like oh i have to say this but it had to be like set up from kula to kulata to frozen kula so here's the thing because i think so kula was a completely made up word it was just a it was just a fucking you know alien sure like zorgnax like it was just like a a word that uh and you can hear it in that episode where winston is like i am the Kula of this planet, like he totally shits out that. Like, yeah, no, just... but it sounds like a sci-fi like sure, yeah. war chief, you know. Yeah, um, or chieftain, get it right. Um, oh, the uh, yeah, I actually don't know. The I have to retire from podcasting. Yeah, right I know, now. I don't know, I don't know. Um, I just he was he was so uh, so much a stickler about it that I feel like I have to be now. Um, so then, so then when uh, I think um, I can't even remember now who coined the term kulata. It may have been Allie. I think but it was. It, it was yeah, fun. because cause Winston, I'll have to go back and listen, because Winston says, I'm the daughter of the Grand Kula, and then someone says, the Kulata. I'm, I think, yeah. I think maybe it's Allie. I think it was Allie. Just so, being, like, jumping on that immediate, like... That, yeah, that, just because yeah. the, the sort of free association of being, like, what's a derivative word from Kula, and, like... Whether she knew, whether she was making the Dunkin' Donuts connection at that point or not, um, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it surprised when when. I mean, the thing is that like her being ejected from the ship was totally that was not part of the plan. Like that just was an improv moment where we were like, how do we get rid of this person? And we'd already established that um, that Bargy uh, ejects people from the ship, so um, or can he can open the hatch. Uh, and so I think, you know, it was just one of those things where like one thing led to another and then, the, and then the culotta was outside the ship. And of course that would mean she was a frozen culotta. Mm-hmm. And like, I could see, Al, I could like hear it in her voice. Like the way she said it was like, I can't believe this happened. And now I get to say this perfect joke. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, that was great. I feel like that was like the first, like, I, I feel like that was like maybe like the first magical moment of the show where we like fuck that was so much fun. Too. <laughs> but yeah, no, the that was wonderful. I I thought in one of those it, things, like that would just would have been like a mic drop end the episode kind of <laughs> moment. Yeah, well, it it almost was, but we were like we have to we have to follow up. We have to figure, like it was I only know, you know, I know it only felt two thirds the way done. But that's the other thing was I think we were kind of like after we ejected the culotta, we were, we had sort of. I think after that line, we sort of took a break and we're like, is it the right thing to do to just like eject her? Is that a weird, does that make us feel like sociopaths? And we kind of, what we kind of decided was we were like, that joke is so good. We kind of have to keep that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah. But yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. And one thing I wanted to, so I, this is on me. Uh, I was going to read a a quick little like synopsis of each episode before we did that. But, uh, so I might as well do it now. I can either cut it in a place or just leave it, but yeah. Great. Um, okay, so episode 101. Uh, we meet the crew in the middle of a mission visiting the Kula. It goes poorly, which causes the war chief to open fire. The crew flees and gets on Bargy. During Nermit's debrief, we learn that Plek accidentally shot Dar and that it was technically not the worst mission that ever was. 
Uh, yeah. The culotta then is on the ship and tells them her dad will murder them all, but she's a big fan of Bargy. Uh, but this conversation does not go well, and Bargy ejects her into space. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, in regards to exposition for the first episode, we don't have a sort of a huge amount apart from, you know, establishing everyone. But we do learn that, you know, the team from the start really just they're just they're just juck ups. They can't do anything yeah, right. For sure. But we Definitely. also learn that C fifty three is streaming to the Federated Alliance at all times. Mm-hmm. But well, I mean we we also had um, a couple of questions in relation to um mm-hmm. to the episode. Um, yeah. do, you know, do you know how many voice modulations Shane tried before he landed on what he made Bargy and C sound like? Did those guys have any input? Or? Um, so the C-53, I think, was sort of based uh, essentially on C-3PO. Um, <laughs> sure. Because we, I, that's what I had done in our first, um, our first pilot. You can... Uh, on the Patreon, um, there's, a, there's a file... Um, we that that opening um office thing he sounds pretty similar in that scene to uh what he ended up sounding like and that was just that was a set of like you know simple filters that i put together it's like a radio filter plus a flange plus a little bit of like a tin can filter like the voice is kind of bouncing around inside his metal head yeah and so um and that uh that was just something i kind of put together to kind of approximate what c3po sounds like and then you know, so so I think Shane based that on my version and improved it. Um, and then for Bargy, I think we had talked a little bit about like we didn't want her to sound too robotic because she's not a robot really. Like she's yeah. sort of all the like, all the droids are really human in Mission to Six. Yes, <laughs> they are. I mean, and that's definitely pulled straight from Star Wars. That like you know every every droid has a personality. Um, unless it's being restrained in which case it's just slightly less uh slightly more robotic but still still <laughs> but lots then, of yeah. <laughs> lots of opinions on those droids but also you know there was er, very early on we made it clear that like bargy's not not a droid but she's not organic but she's also like not the same she's not really a she's maybe an artificial intelligence but she doesn't really have like i don't know she her her she's uh, not like be, right down to her all being the doesn't well, and her being doesn't follow the the rules of, that droids follow. So I didn't want her voice to sound robotic, um, sure. but I did want it to sound, um, you know, uh, like it was coming out of... Well, and like it was coming out of speakers throughout the ship. Oh, sure, sure. So, like, we had talked about how she's not like Hal, where there's like a, there's like a speaker on the wall that is her. Um, we we thought it would be funny if she's just like the because she's the whole ship just that just like every every room has like eight speakers in it and just like at any given time she's just speaking through the speakers. So <laughs> that's so funnier she, to think about, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So it's well, and, and and there's a I think oh in the in the episode zero I think Plek has a thing of like where should I look when I'm talking to you and she's like <laughs> you're inside of me already you don't you don't have to look anywhere. Um, uh, and so yeah, that was sort of we kind of have played with the idea that there's no like one place bargy exists she's she really is the whole ship and so as such like her voice just comes from everywhere so that was something that he put on um and we messed around a little bit with that but he he pretty much nailed it right away of like making it sound like there you know that there's the audio filter yeah, you get it um, right away that really yeah it sort of tricks your brain into feeling like it's coming out of two speakers that are different distances from you so it kind of has that very slight <clears throat> I don't even know what you would 
call yeah. it, but that that very slight like reverb effect where you you it feels like it's coming from multiple sources. The, yeah. the amount of work that Shane puts into the, the different ways he controls the sound in these episodes is just astonishing. And yeah, like, bargy from outside, from bargy from inside, yeah. and like you know. Well, and one of the things that <clears throat> one of the things that I think that he does really well that I I I'd never thought about in this way exactly, but he said once at this panel we were doing a few months ago was he was like I always try to make sure that he's like I know that no one's no one can see this because it's not real. So he's like I have to whenever I pick sound effects I go out of my way to make sure that it's something that's relatable uh, that you he's like I want to pick sounds that may, that evoke the thing that it is rather than what I think that thing would sound like so he's like if this were a movie I might not use those sounds but because it's audio only I have to choose sounds that you don't have to that you have a shorthand in your brain for what it sounds like so sure, yeah. he was like for example like when we're in a hangar <clears throat> Bargy has an idling noise and he's like, it's just a truck. It's like a pickup truck. Um, and he's like, I know that a ship wouldn't do that. Like a ship doesn't have, a starship wouldn't have an idling engine when it's parked. But he's like, by putting it there, though, your brain immediately is like, I'm standing next to a running engine. Like I'm standing next to a vehicle. Next to it, yeah. Yeah. And, so, and he slows it down and like, you know, pitches it down so it doesn't sound like a truck. But he's like, that's the kind of thing that like, it reminds you that Bargy is next, is next to the, the listener at all times. Uh, when they're in the hangar and so like that's the kind of thing that i'm like oh that's pretty fucking brilliant like yeah you know um and so he does a lot of stuff like that and when he explained that i was like oh that's a really really good idea <laughs> because you know because you think about you know it's like if you had think about like the sound of a lightsaber like everyone knows what a lightsaber sounds like but if you had only ever heard a lightsaber you wouldn't know what it looked like you hear a hum um, and that's about it yeah like the sound of a lightsaber doesn't really evoke I guess like the sound of it moving sort of does, but like that, like that's sort of like, yeah. that's like, that doesn't say, oh, a, a, a light sword has ejected from a hilt, you know? Sure, because like, that doesn't exist in normal life. <laughs> right, right, exactly. So it's like, if you, if Star Wars was an audio drama originally, not the one that the BBC did after the movies came out, but the, if, if it had only existed in audio, I think they would have to have come up with a different noise because it would have to be something that evoked oh, this is a sword I'm hearing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, so that's, uh, but, you know, because you have the visual, you don't, you can, it can sound like whatever the fuck you want it to sound like. And so they chose that fucking awesome sound. Um, so, but yeah, anyway, so that's, that's been, some, that was something that I hadn't ever really thought about with uh, Shane's work that he mentioned one time. I was like, oh, that's really cool. You actually preempted one of my questions that I had for later. Because oh. I, I picked <clears> up <throat> on the fact that Shane uses things like um, sort of an old flash bulb camera mm. sound yeah. for when people having their picture taken or like you can hear sort of like VHS sort of noises for when right. things are being yeah. ejected and whatnot. <clears throat> yeah. I think the way that he sort of makes the sounds part of like the story, like it's almost like an extra character, all these sort of really totally. visual sounds. Yeah. Absolutely. It really yeah, there's what a... makes the podcast stand out. There's the uh one of my favorite sounds is the cube slot ejecting. <laughs> That like, you know, like, um, yeah. and it's such a, it's such a, I, I know exactly what it is, which is it's a, um, it's a mini DV, I, I, I think it's a mini DV tape e- uh, ejecting from a camcorder. But it sounds like something um, ejecting. Yeah. Right. And it, but it's like, but we all had those when, you know, like we've all used those cameras. Like we've all, it might be, a, um, 
it might be like a mini disc ejecting or, sure, or yeah. a VHS or something like that. But you but get the gist it's, regardless. Yeah. It's definitely a cartridge ejecting from, you know, some 90s piece of technology. And, and it's like, that's the kind of thing that all of us, people our age, like we immediately know that sound. And it's yeah. so obvious what's happening um, that, uh, yeah, it, like you said, it's it those... I mean, it's a, and it's the same thing with, I think when we talked about Nermit, what Nermit sounds like over intercom, I was like, I kind of imagine it being like in, in Star Wars when uh, uh, anyone's on screen, like that was back when VHS, like uh, analog, um, uh, you know, it wasn't digital. So when there was interference, it was a line across the image, yeah. which like doesn't make sense. Like Leia would not have a line going across because it's not a tape. You know, it's a hologram. Yeah, no. <laughs> but there's something about like the way that the way that her message to Obi Wan glitches out. Um, when you watch that, you you think, oh, it, you know, there's something there's something corrupted about the, like it, it connects with something that you know about your own life and the technology we use on Earth. Like that, it's a shorthand that connects that. Next, we've got uh, episode two, Nermi. I shrunk the crew. So. Um, mm quick synopsis of this episode is that the crew goes to an adorable planet where they get shrunk down uh, Plek is accidentally betrothed to a tiny princess Dar kills a horse and Shatana realises she is in love with her twin horse Juno uh, the crew then <laughs> enlarges Juno to pretend he's a giant horse and Juno marries Shatana, eats her and uh, this is apparently what consummation involves on this planet. Uh, everyone then takes yeah, off their Just shirts. your standard, just your standard yeah. episode. Oh yeah, yeah standard. Yeah. By the book. <laughs> I'd um, love for somebody to try to like make sense of this out of context. Oof, oof, doofa. Um, and then everyone takes off their shirt in solidarity with Nermit. <laughs> yes. I forgot about that moment. Mm. <laughs> How could you forget? <laughs> All right, so uh, a couple questions we have. So this is this is one of the most contentious points that we had in in the fan cast. Mm. Uh, so based on the ratios of shrinking, Dar has to be three hundred feet tall. Yep, you did the math. <laughs> I mm-hmm. did the math. Uh, how? <laughs> what? I mean, we don't need exact amounts, but like, is Dar supposed to be like a hulking giant or like like a it's like, like <clears throat> a couple of heads taller sort of thing? Um, well, two things. The, the the answer to the shrink ray is that it kills people sometimes. It works different on different species. Oh, so it species. just works poorly. Yes, uh, I think, yeah, I think okay. the shrink ray just doesn't work very well, but it works well enough that Dar feels a lot smaller, which is why she's... They are like, uh, you know, I'm so cute. I'm so teeny tiny. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I think Dar is, is shrunk down to the size of, um, uh, of Plaque-ish. Um, yeah. But we've we've always said that Dar is between like tw- like uh, like ten to fifteen feet tall. Okay, that's um, fair. That makes a lot more sense. I was just being, you know, an a hole with. Yeah, I, I think t- I, I think Dar is about twice as tall as Plague. Uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And I think um, if you guys saw the season two finale art, um, yes, yeah, uh, that's that's not ex- you know that's definitely one of many t- interpretations of how uh, of what Dar looks like, but I think it's pretty. Uh, that's about how we, how big we see, how tall we see. Kind of fits the headcanon. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I know you guys have been <clears throat> deliberately vague about what characters look like, just so mm-hmm. you leave it up to yeah, no. imagination. Right. We get a lot of Nermit's physical appearance. <laughs> yes, say. we do. We've dug into him, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I think of, uh, I think of Dar as being, yeah, 12, 12, 15 feet tall. And, and, um, and it's, you know, it, sure. it shrunk Dar by maybe half. That's fair. Um, <laughs> and also, in Ma- this episode, magic is weird. Oh. Magic is weird, man. I don't know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, so how far in this episode, it, it really felt like it was, it was very <laughs> almost off the rails. Yeah. That, like, I felt like you guys were playing chicken with like, how far are we going to go with this? We definitely thing? did. Well, there's two things on that. Uh, w- one thing is that I think that's a good example of like early on in the show, we really didn't know. You know, we we still weren't really sure what the limits of sanity were. You know, like we, <laughs> we were trying to figure out that we didn't have <clears throat> nearly as many, nearly as much of the infrastructure of the show figured out. And and you know, I think, um, you know, at that point, even the relationships weren't really um, set in stone. Uh, you know, Plex relationship to Dar and C fifty three, like. Dar's relationship to, you know, everything, the world. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, and also just like, we never thought to establish, we, had n- we hadn't really established like what, it, can magic exist on one planet and not on another planet? Like, we hadn't really talked about it. Um, and we, ha- we hadn't talked about it because it wasn't, it didn't exist yet. So, you know, we kind of had to, you kind of have to go to the edge to figure out where the edge is, um, where, where w- world building is concerned, I think. Um, yes we really did (laughs) yeah and it's funny because i i remember thinking like because it was a wild episode and we did sort of go real into the weeds um i think we sort of clawed our way back but i remember thinking at the time i'm like is it risky to make this the second episode like is it going to turn people off because it's so weird um and maybe but i also have heard from a lot of people that it's one of their favorite episodes so I don't yeah. know. I mean, it's it's a kind of thing where, um, you know, for me, I wouldn't I wouldn't list it among my favorite episodes, not because of any uh, performances, performance stuff or anything, but just because it feels to me like a um, it feels to me like an episode we only would have made if we still were figuring out what the show was. You know, like that's what it well, that's, feels like. Yeah, to, that's that's what it feels like to me. And like I think people, you know, by and large, have stuck with it. Um, through that to what the show sort of ended up being like um, so I, I'm glad that people you know then go on and listen to the next episode but it does feel like listening to that episode I'm you know I I think when I listen to it I'm like what what was this show going to be like if we'd had another episode like this what would it have been you know um, <laughs> well, and I mean, uh, that's not a, that's not a bad thing it just you know it just makes you like the the first three or four episodes are a you know form a a line towards what the show ended up becoming. Well, I I do have a counterpoint to you on that because <laughs> later on in this season, uh, we'll get to it. But dust up at the diner is <laughs> one of the raunchiest things, <laughs> without being actually like fo- like it, you know. It really is, yeah. I mean, but yeah, anyway, it's, it's hard out here for a blimp. Is I would say the raunchiest. Oh, pretty, oh yep, 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 yep. Oof. Oof, yeah, and there was there was some. We've cut a lot of stuff from the show that would be way too much for people, and it's just, and it's it's just that we, you know, it's like look, you'd be surprised. One of the gra- <laughs> yeah, one of the great things, one of the great things about um, being able to edit the show is that. Um, have either of you guys seen um, a live show of ours? I know you no, haven't. Becca, but I want have you to seen- so bad. That's fine. I'm, That's I'm fine. coming to Nashville in May, as far as oh, I'm, great, you know, awesome. That's great. Um, well, the reason I ask is because, um, you know, when you do a live show, even a live show of six, um, 
it's so much easier. First of all, you've, you're getting audience feedback, so you kind of know what to follow. Um, but also, because we're not editing it, like we we don't take those chances. Like if something if something is you know a thirty percent chance of working, and it's and we're doing it live, we're not going to do it. We're just going to do something yeah. else. You know, and like there's a bunch of different you know in any scenario. For example, like the uh, you know for episode two, um, the Shatana episode, like there are a lot of things that we could have done to make that a more like straightforward episode that like we didn't do in the recording session because we were like, well, if it doesn't work, well, we just won't use it. Like we'll just, you know, go back and start, start again at we a certain point or we'll yeah. edit it down. Yeah. And so, and so that's the kind of thing that, um, that allows us to, to tell a story that's both insane and coherent that like we could never do live. And so that's why when you listen to the live episodes, some of them are a little more, um, they, they generally tend to be like, cause we don't really edit those. Sometimes we'll trim them just for time, but like, we'll never go in and like, you know, try to connect weird dots or get pickups. Like we've never done anything, anything like that. And we haven't really had to, because with the live episode, they de- generally tend to be a little more linear. Um, and we don't take as many, I mean, I don't know. I don't want to say we don't take risks cause we do, but it's just like, Oh yeah. The, um, but we don't stream say, the latest one. And that was yeah. like, I was like, whoa, they introduced time travel. They introduced, right. like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We're definitely, we're definitely willing to take risks, but it's, it's, um, you know, we won't drill down quite as far on things because, you know, that's the kind of thing that we have learned. We sort of trained ourselves to, to be okay with it. We kind of like unlearned some of our improv teachings to be like, no, fuck it. Keep going. (laughs) See see if this road leads to anything good. And if it doesn't, we don't have to go down the road at all in the end, you know? Um, And that was the kind of thing where with, with that episode, we, we did um, really go way off the route, uh, especially because like I said, the original pitch was essentially Fern Gully. (laughs) And that Um, is not Fern Gully. (laughs) No, I don't think anything in Fern Gully uh, happens in that episode, but, uh, but what we ended up doing was we were like, oh, this, you know, we established all these weird things. We we're like, let's follow them as far as we can. And if in the end it works, we'll, you know, we'll trim it down and that'll be our episode. And, and, and I think it did, you know, we did kind of pull it out at the end. Um, but yeah, so, uh, but it is definitely one of our weirder episodes right out of the gate for sure. Yeah. It, sets, it sets a precedent for the sort of tone for the rest of the show, really. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it also taught us as performers that like oh you know we we don't have to always um impose that on ourselves of like if this isn't working in the first 30 seconds abandon it because that's that is sort of the kind of thing you have to do in improv i mean you want to definitely commit and like that's a huge part of long form is just committing and going with it and kind of following it through um but you know um when you're doing something on stage and something's not working you really have to be proactive about figuring out how to how to fix it and how to um you know how to turn what you're doing into something that's usable that you can build on and with the podcast we can kind of cool that a little bit because we can say look let's let's play this the way we would play it and see if it ends up leading somewhere that the stakes are lower i guess yeah and it, it ends up leading somewhere that we wouldn't ever be able to do in a live episode so why not do that because it's a different format and we have totally different opportunities yeah yeah um, for sure yeah 
Do you want to go on to yeah. the episodes? Yeah. So, yeah, 103. Uh, oh, oh boy. It's what happens on Magnifico. Uh, <laughs> Wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> the super quick version. The crew goes on a recon mission to a planet with no official information on it, finds out it's actually a pleasure planet. The greeter, Jack, shows off his pleasure powers to the crew, takes a shining to Plek. <laughs> C-53 transfers his consciousness to a backspeed sand crawler. Dar is sent away on a boat ride, but when Plek declines Jack's advances and Dar and C-53 return, they all storm off and C-53 is punished with a slippery marble. Oh, yeah, it's the Slippery Marble episode. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> how could, how that, could I forget? Becca generated some fan art for the marble <laughs> that ended yes. up being an episode. <laughs> one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, fan art. Pieces of fan art. I know. It's wonderful. I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, Venus was a gift. Oh, yes. My. Yes, indeed. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. We had a couple of... Uh, questions uh, speaking of marbles how common do you think these punishment punishment marbles are across the federated alliance <laughs> that's an excellent question it's so funny that that used to be it's that seems like such ancient history the federated <laughs> alliance's weird punishments like the mallet that they spank nermit with and, oh yeah um, the i will say marble we didn't mention this before but the demerit shirts and stuff like that right yeah yeah because taking I, off more clothes for lo- the less you know good a job yeah you're doing. Well, early on, we talked about how, you know, we wanted to try to find fun, different ways to plant the seed that the alliance was evil. And somebody came up with the idea, like, what if all the every time you do something wrong, they have some like weird, fucked up, like perverted punishment. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was. Yeah, I think that's where that came from. Um, but yeah, the punishment marble was something where like when Seth, Seth does this all the fucking time where he'll he'll like. <laughs> He'll plan something out, like, you know, he'll start saying something, and you can tell he's he's headed towards something that's, like, four moves away. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, C-53, open the drawer labeled marble or whatever. And I'm like, Seth, what? it's going to take half an hour. Like, what are you doing? And he's like, take the marble, put it on the ground, try to pick it up. And I was like, oh, like, when it came together, what he was doing, I'm like, oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Um, and then the, because, like, sexy voice that, like, no, you can't enjoy yeah. it. <laughs> why yeah so funny uh yeah that moment was really I, I i just was sort of like dumbstruck for that whole moment i was like what is what are you doing um but it really came together so well speaking of um when we uh, recorded our fancast episode um vigil wanted to know why dar mm. so horny why dar so horny why dar so horny that's a great question um that's a great question, Vigil. Thank you. Dar injects a lot of raunch into. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, that's a that is a good question. Uh, <laughs> I definitely think uh, Ali had always pitched Dar as someone who is sort of, and, and it's funny because I it wasn't until the Magnifico episode that I sort of established um, uh, established Plek as I think I think maybe Nini on Discord. Uh, said he sort of low-key asexual yeah uh, low-key low-key that, that was another I think question she, we had after this. i think yeah. she said um but it wasn't really something that i had ever planned on but i think it kind of took shape because dar was so aggressive about uh their sexuality that i was kind of like well just like a you foil. know again again yeah and as an audience surrogate um but you know it wasn't really it didn't really start out that way because that was sort of what nermit's relationship was with 
um, was being like, "Ah, I don't know how to handle this. Um, And so it kind of doubled up on that for for Plek to be that way. But um, I was, I I think I was honestly so like, uh, I was so in over my head with, with, connor and all of the stuff that he was like what do you what do you want plek what do you want and i was like yeah. oh god we mentioned that um, like it's so hard to do improv when someone's going mm, yes mm, like yeah the entire exactly time. exactly um but i think uh i think that's something that ali just i mean as a person i think that she, that she is very um I, I think we all kind of think of our characters as being a little bit extensions of ourselves or kind of like um uh, pie in the sky versions of ourselves yeah. <laughs> and uh, in a lot of ways. And I think that, I think that Allie, um, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say Allie's so horny, but I think that Dar's so <laughs> horny because Allie is kind of not that way that like, I think she's, she, she's usually very, um, she's always very um, reasonable about everything. She's just totally a straight shooter and has her head on straight all the time about everything. And like, and so I think that it's kind of like a fun fantasy to play a character for her that is just says what's on her mind all the time and is very like forthright about everything. And and for me, uh, I'm super horny all the time and talk about it constantly. <laughs> so it's just a fun fantasy for me to be asexual. No, um, no, but I, I think for me, I think it's, uh, you know, I think Plex sort of um, nervousness about sexuality came from uh like i I, for me it kind of came from my um my place of like okay if i'm a guy who's never uh never left his own planet before and suddenly an alien wants to juck him like what would his reaction be be? oh oh well there's two i think there's two types of tellurians right there's the type of tellurian who'd be like yeah fuck yeah let's do it i'll do whatever uh and then there's the other kind who's like is this even ethically like what am I supposed to like? Am I supposed to? Am I supposed to have sex with other species? Like I don't understand. You know, um, yeah. Is that Just yeah? Am I gonna, like... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think that that felt like kind of a fun, uh, just extension of that. That like that there's a um, that that the idea of being sexually involved with another species makes him a little uncomfortable, which totally makes sense for yeah. him because he he lived for 22 years on his planet but for everybody else he, he seems like a total square like a total prude you know yeah, like <laughs> um so i think uh that's kind of a fun thing to play with it and i don't know i i, I don't know if it I, I still maintain that that pleck probably has some sexuality somewhere but i but i think um i'm i'm happy for yeah. him to be the guy who is always a little bit it's always more trouble than it's worth for Plex. And he's like, you know what? I'd like, yeah. I'd like to have sex, but I don't need to have sex that bad. Yeah, I was gonna say like the this Plex sexual orientation on yeah. this. <laughs> yeah. Like we, it. I guess so. It sounds like you're you're talking like mostly like eh, that might be something that comes up later. But for right now, it's kind of just. I think it's described yeah. as a non-issue. Well, in the same in the same way that I I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I guess I don't. I, I well I guess I I didn't envision Plek as being asexual, um, but I kind of like that that's where he ended up, um, and I think that it's an interesting thing to play with. That like I mean obviously playing reluctant or playing like weirded out like it is only gets you so far like as it pertains to Plek, you know Plex relationships or whatever. But I do think <clears throat> like I like the idea of 
playing a character who is like he's never really connected with that part of himself and it's either because he doesn't know how or that it doesn't exist and either way like i think it's a fun fun element of his character especially because dar and c53 and bargy and bino and like every other character even the robots are more like (laughs) even the bean even the bean (laughs) jacks so you'd say plex sexual orientation is oblivious yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah maybe maybe i maybe it exists maybe a bunch of question know. marks yeah 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 exactly okay All right. so episode uh 104 is assimilation is futile mm. get to meet uh, john robert wilson for the first time. yes indeed so we've got a uh, super quick synopsis uh the crew is about to go on a mission when they are interrupted by an intelligent insect swarm the keck uh they learn about the keck's motivations and their extremely com- complicated caste system while being threatened with assimilation the Keck offered to let them go if they devalue the Federated Alliance currency. currency. <laughs> uh, Dahl repels the swarm by burning them because they are in heat. Uh, Bargy mm-hmm. refuses to leave because that she she has a date. Uh, then finds out that her date was assimilated by the Keck, needs some alone time, uh, argues with the grower <laughs> mind, who then leaves and uh, then decides to get dirtier. So, <clears throat> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great synopsis. You know. You. Oh, you're going to love the dust up at the diner one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so we... There was one question that came up that I honestly don't know how to answer. Uh, the time system. 4488 mm. o'clock? Yeah, we... I, I think about that a lot, actually. I think about... <laughs> it haunts you at night. Yeah, it yeah. Me. I, I think about... So to speak. Uh, uh, how no. exactly... <laughs> Sorry. how exactly we should do that um whether we should ever establish how time works i've kind of vaguely been thinking that um there are 48 hours in a day um but uh, just like, 44 yeah. 80, 44 hours in a day and 100 minutes in an hour um so oh so, that's interesting so yeah at 4800 uh uh you know, at f- well, at 47, I mean, 4799 would be a minute before midnight. Um, okay. So, but I, <laughs> I mean, that hasn't remained consistent. I'm sure there are, uh, there are things yeah. that we've said. But also we've talked about like, oh, it's nine in the morning. So it's like, okay, well then that, <laughs> that checks out because that could still be, because maybe you sleep between, you know, uh, you know, between noon and, and yeah. uh, maybe you know, and 20, yeah bargy standard time or something like that that bargy right. just says like nope this is the time i want to set for myself yeah well there is also galactic standard time like we talk a little bit about like when we're on different planets how time you know the the days are calculated yeah actually. true um but yeah so um <laughs> yeah i could not tell you what our plan was for that also but maybe we'll try to maybe we'll try to figure it out at some point I mean, you established in episode one that there's a new season called Zistarkis Guard, so, I mean... Zistarkitarn, yeah. yes. <laughs> it comes after fall and before winter, I think, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> I think yeah. there's an episode where we establish that it's Zistarkitarn. Um, what's what's the ones in Magic Tavern, like Blunder and... Vishtash. Vishtash, yeah. Vishtash, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. It, it would be fun just to throw one of those in there or something like that. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, Exactly one of Maybe those. Vishtash and Zistarkatarn are the same. Or it's like fall and autumn. It's like they're homin- they're uh, synonyms for each other. Oh, that's fair. Um, but yeah. I do learn in this episode that um, Noma only has a 26-year lifespan. And he's, oh, he's so sad. I know. He's we were so sad. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's like 24. 24 yeah. Right? 
And oh, does that mean that Dermot can only like live till season like four or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you do the math, I mean, season three, honestly, if he's oh, two years boy. away from his, yeah. Well, uh, spoiler alert, no. no. <laughs> um, yeah, the the thing that's weird is, is his parents are still alive. Um, that's but true. I think that they had him when he, they were like six months old or something like that. that. That must be how it works out because that you can't like, well, oh, no, lizards. we waited until I mean, they... we're 20 to have kids. And like, yeah. And also, Nermit doesn't have any kids, so he's like an old man that, no. yeah, mm. that we know of. <laughs> It's very okay. Sad. Well, actually, no. That is true. That yeah, is that's absolutely true. He might have, true. He might have kids. Okay. <clears throat> well, Uh-oh. everyone has. Everyone has at least five sons, as we've established. Oh, you know, in the Hark Tardic or in the uh, Turk Manicat episode. Everyone has a side hustle. Everyone has five kids. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Five that, sons. Five sons. Sorry, yes, five that sons. look. That does also remind me. Uh, we we also put this in, in one of the things. All of the ads are technically canon. Hmm. Yes. So that means yes. that Audible exists in the world of sex and stuff like that. <laughs> Lauren Lapkus exists. <laughs> yes. Well, I think that it's more that. No, I. The, I, I think that it's more that the, uh, uh, the 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 services exist. I think that there's. Uh, I think there's some. There must be some sort of interdimensional. Uh, that's fair. You know, uh, uh, pipeline where Audible can. They have a bunch of you know, uh, Zix. Uh, content on audible but then also you know a few a few earth novels that somehow have made their way over there <laughs> i know i just wanted to point that out that that's funny that like the ads be, and the reason why they're canon yeah, i mean meundies meundies yeah. is a huge part of the canon yeah yeah like they're like that guy who was always selling underwear <laughs> right right i love how it just subtly builds up this this picture of what's going on on the other side with the rebels without actually being blunt with your exposition you know just yeah. like having air raid sirens going off mentioning that they have these terrible issued skivvies <laughs> right 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 it's, it's very clever thank you yeah we, we we definitely whether or not uh our advertisers agree with us we um we definitely like the idea of of doing ads on our own terms because um, we didn't want to break the show in half every episode to be like hey winston here i love my underwear like <laughs> why not like nobody cares like why not just do it as, a as one of the characters yeah. and help you know help stay in the world of the show so i enjoy enjoying listening to adverts i mean i actively mm-hmm. listen to like the adverts that the mccoys do on my brother my brother and me just because right it, it just goes places you know there are right, some right, podcasts right. where i just skip through them but you know you give us something to to, to listen to Essentially, so. yeah also yeah, no, yeah. We, we one of the recent uh, one of the episodes in season two i remember they were like something about the monarchy and i was like hey did you guys hear that thing about the monarchy and they're like what and we all dug through the ad again to try to find <laughs> out the you know yeah what happened you know yeah sneaky. oh that's great that's good which yeah tell, no. uh, tell that to uh you know lisa or whatever <laughs> lisa mattresses yeah uh-huh. But yeah, no, uh, I guess let's move on to the next episode. Yes, quick, quick. All right. So yes, uh, is 105, a critical vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So super quick version. The crew goes shopping for new furniture, accidentally meets a war criminal who made the planet crusher, then arguing with him about his design philosophy. They then get a blue Julius, follow him to his workshop, where they find he has another planet crusher in a pocket dimension, and find out they reported him way too late. <laughs> Oof. Yep, Oof. that's yep. right. A lot of exposition here. There is a lot of exposition here. <laughs> it's true. We definitely established a lot of that stuff. Uh, fun fact: mm. 
uh, that episode was largely uh, one of our second unaired episodes. Ooh. So we we recorded three actually episodes, um, and the one with John Murray was the one that was the only one that didn't have so much stuff that we ended up changing um, that we were able to actually use most of it. Mm. Nice. So we changed the beginning and the end because we had established other stuff. And of course it was the fifth episode. So other stuff had happened, yeah. but the actual pretty much from the time we go into the shop, um, pretty much the only thing we changed was that um, we re-recorded C-53 to call Plek um, ambassador to et cetera, as opposed to surveyor deck said i think surveyor was oh, his original original that. title yep oh that's fun it was gonna be it was gonna be a team of um you know census takers a bit basically but we felt oh. <laughs> we changed that because we felt like it was a little bit too passive galactic like accountants if, no yeah exactly i mean essentially yeah so we because we thought it would be funny if it was super boring that they were basically taking the census and they got into all these adventures but um it just made for sort of a boring pitch so we we ended up making them ambassadors which felt a little more active that's fair so did, yeah. did you have a lot of this sort of overarching storyline sort of vaguely planned out from the beginning then no no not at all really we we had um the only thing that we went into the went into the season knowing was that at some point um the crew was going to realize that the alliance was evil and that the season would end with them uh, leaving the alliance okay. but that was pretty much the only thing that we had established beforehand and then a lot of the other stuff kind of came throughout the season so you know once we did this episode with john which of course we did like i said before um so we knew that that was going to be an element of it was that that was going to start start like planting the seed of doubt of like who who ordered this planet crusher if it was the federated alliance like are they evil that kind of thing um so yeah um that that was that was pretty much it Speaking of the planet crusher, in my mind, I see it as like Pac-Man because you mentioned it's got this like big mouth that crushes. Yes, <laughs> I, I envision it as a Borg cube with a hinge in the middle. Uh, Just like literally a, a hinge. <laughs> yeah, like a um, like yeah, like Pac-Man essentially, but like a like a cube, like imagine like a Rubik's cube or like a Borg cube, but just that ha- halfway through, there's a hinge that opens all the way up. Um, and the whole thing is big enough to envelop a planet. Yeah, because I know later on it's established that there are cubes, but, you know. Yeah. Until then, yeah, no, like, it, it seemed like it, because I think we recorded that before the finale, actually, that fan cast episode, and that was like, wait, is it a cube? Is it Pac-Man? You know. Yeah, and the, um, yeah, no, I, I've always thought of it as a cube, but I, I, I think um, there was a, I want to say maybe it was uh, Greg. Someone on Discord had posted a picture he drew of the planet crusher and it made me laugh out loud so hard because he had drawn it as almost like this shape of like a nail cutter like a a nail clipper yeah where like the crushing part was the smallest part and then it just extended (laughs) it extended so far out and i was like why would you ever need a ship that like i thought it was so funny because i had imagined the planet crusher as being like you know the, it's all jaws like the only yeah. the only uh uh you know the only uh thing it does is crush planets so that's the only part of the ship that you need but the idea that <laughs> that it would that just like be a, a little ship be- a little it. beak a little beak up front that is bigger than a planet and then an just a fucking enormous <laughs> ship it's just filled with what like 
like literally 12 planets worth of nothing. Like, uh, I thought it was so funny. It does I sound guess. like a very um, Zixian thing, doesn't it? Yeah. Just yeah. very excessive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. Episode 106, Dust Up at the Diner. Mm-hmm. So, oh, you lengthened my short... Oh, sorry. Uh, oh, oh. oh, well, there, I felt there was a few bits that needed to... I mean, yes. I was being excessively reductive. Okay. So... <laughs> Plek and the crew take time off by going to a diner. Uh, Plek hits on a waitress made of food while being given dating advice by Samo and Wink. Dar makes ample use of the bathroom. Uh, we find out the Council of Seven <laughs> is running a drug smuggling operation out of the diner, and Plek gets super high on dust. Yeah. So yeah, no, my it's funny. I brought this up in the episode, but like, my my like reductively quick version was like the crew gets time off. Plek hits on a waitress and gets high. <laughs> yep, I was like, "That's yeah, I'm a the real plot of this episode." What a hoodlum! What a hoodlum <laughs> he is. He's like a high school, yeah, like a high school burnout. I'm gonna go to the diner and hit on waitress. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for me, that's not nearly the bluest part of the episode. The the real shocker is uh, Peck the pervert just yeah. creeps me the oh. fuck out. Oh god, amazing. He's yeah. a bu- that that was one of I think that was one of uh, our our better. Um, character descriptions was it for some reason i just imagine him as being like a five gallon bucket of liquid oh, um, yeah. and so and so i was like uh, i was like shane i don't know what he looks like but i just i think just put some sloshing noises in there yeah I think he's just mostly <laughs> it, liquid it makes it um, so much more uncomfortable too which so, is gross. <laughs> so gross so gross like what is the liquid what is he full of oh uh, who, who can say don't even think about it nope leaving it to the imagination is both better and worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, so, do you think yeah. the majority of the Federated Alliance money comes from this dust smuggling operation then? Uh, no, I think that most of Trink's money comes from that. Oh, okay. But also, he Trink is the general, so a lot of his money comes from like arms deals and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. I, think, I think that one of the things that we kind of tried to establish in the um, Maganak episode mm. was that every single member of the Alliance and the whole organization is just like incredibly um, bloated with cash and mm. corrupt. Like individually um, corrupt, I feel. Like. Individually and as a group. Like the government itself is really corrupt. Like it's 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 just like so over uh, overstuffed with cash. But also that's driven by each of the members who are hedonistic and... and uh, and corrupt and selfish, but we never really got into how exactly that works for everybody. But like, you know, um, uh, Runf is like old money, like uh, East coast, like uh, legacy you know, Ivy league asshole, um, or at least his son is um, Tillian, Tillian Runf. Um, and so like, yeah. So we imagine that like Trink is like the, the war profiteer and Runf is like the old money dick bag, and <laughs> yeah. like um, and like uh, uh, Joey is like the trust fund actor asshole. Like they're uh, they're just all dicks. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but we but we never really established, or you know, in the show or out of the show, never really established how exactly all of them have all the money. But really, I, I think it's more that the government itself is corrupt rather than yeah, uh, just that the individuals are. Well, yeah. 
Oh yeah. Uh, also, uh, so Samo and Wink popped up in this. Were they intended yeah. to be ongoing no. characters at all? God no. God no. <laughs> no. The fact that so when Samo and Wink, I think the second time Samo and Wink came back in that episode, we were all like, "Oh God, get these <laughs> get these wastoids out of here." And so it was funny that they come back. You know that they that they end up sort of being like all through that episode, and then um, and then I think when Winston brought Samo back or maybe Mujan brought Wink back um like three or four episodes later when do we see them again I'm trying to think it was of the like next, the next finale appearance. right I, I think they pop up once before um I can't remember exactly when they came back but they they did pop I think they do pop their heads in one more time oh yeah 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 they're on the roof of the bar during the Zach Cherry episode they're at the bar drinking um oh are they oh yes right when they come right when they get off the elevator it's yes, like oh hey are. buddy and it's like yeah. oh right and, yep. oh, yeah, and i'm like sam and wink what are friends. you guys doing here yeah. yeah and they're like uh <laughs> so so that was the kind of thing where it was just we just wanted some world building before we met before we got a seat at the bar and winston and mujan thought it would be funny to be sam and wink and i was like oh god these fuckers again <laughs> uh, and no. then so that kind of became a joke of like that. What if they're following them around and like over the next few episodes, like as we kind of get got toward the finale, they were like, what if they're like operatives? So that just kind of took place in the margins of the recording where we kind of were talking about how funny it would be if they actually were super important. And they, uh, they are, they're so they are the they're so important, arguably like the most effective operatives. <laughs> yeah. And they're, and they're MCs at, at Mananaru as well. So, you know, they're every place. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's so funny that they just like popped up and it's just like, no, please leave. It's like, nope, we won't leave. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep. That's classic. Classic. <laughs> <laughs> What's the, I mean, it's too far ahead, but like, was that sort of what Bino ended up being? Uh, sort. No, I mean, we knew going in, I think that Bino was going to be that. We thought it would be really funny if the bean... And like I like you said, we'll probably get to some of this later. But the bean is a perfect example of like us not like of us using insisting on using every part of the buffalo. Like yeah, when when Kane was like, "It's a bean," we were like, "Oh god damn it!" <laughs> How is that coming um, back? Yeah, exactly. And then we were like, "Well, what if we just totally leaned into it? What if we made the bean the most fucking important thing in the galaxy?" <laughs> like um, because because it's like you know we're not gonna let you. We 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 didn't want to let uh, Michael Caine be, uh, you know, pull the rug out from under us. And we're like, well, jokes on you. That's super important. You know? <laughs> so um, that was just kind of like a fun improv uh, joke uh, that like kind of turned into a you. totally different. Yeah, exactly. So because um, like that's such a you know that's such a classic thing to be like, oh, this important thing turns out not important. <laughs> and of course because. It's improv. You kind of have to say, okay, you kind of have to agree and be like, okay, it's not important. And then we were like, well, what if it is? And that's the, that's the unexpected part is that it's actually super important. And so then that became the thing that, you know, obviously ended season one. And between seasons one and two, we were talking about what the bean should be. And we all kind of agreed, like, it has to be like a Jar Jar Binks character. <laughs> um, like, the, it, it has to be like this shark jumping, like, Let's get kids excited about merch. Character. 
And so that became, and even then, I think we all just thought he would kind of pop in at the end to be like, God, kids love me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but Winston definitely made him like a much bigger character. And we thought that was really funny. Yeah. But there was, I will say there were two or, you know, there were maybe five or six episodes. There was a stretch of a few episodes in the middle where we were like, why is there so much Bino? Why is Bino in every episode uh, where we kind of fell victim to, we fell into our own Bino trap of being like, man, Bino sucks. Um, and then we, we came around to love Bino by the end. Yeah. Well, that actually leads us on nicely to the next episode. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So it's uh, the redacted. Yes. And super quick version. Uh, mm-hmm. The crew goes on a top-secret mission to retrieve a relic from a very small planet. Chad, the Riddle Master, asks a series of riddles, which they answered uh, poorly, but enough to win uh, a yep. relic. Uh, they retrieve the secret relic, which is a warm bean. They leave the planet just before the Clints orbitally bombard it out of frustration for not getting the riddles, uh, but everyone's still on the planet. Yep. Uh, then they all compare the relic to Norbit's genitalia. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Num num. Num num. Yes. Yes. Uh, we can't not. We can't. We can't talk this about this episode. Not mention num num and the Rangastangus. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, now we have we have we have official we have canon names for three of our core characters. We have yeah. uh, we have Rangastangus, Num Num, and Venus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's so funny. They show up in personnel files. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, C53 adding things to people's files is one of my favorite ongoing jokes. Yeah. Ugh. And replaying the videos. Yep, 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 yeah. yep. Oof. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Did that, Did you guys come up with those names just, like, in the instant? Oh, Num Num and Rangus Dangus? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. <laughs> well done. Um, I, I mean, that was, that's a, that's a, I feel like the show is full of things like this where you know, it's not really in Plex character to have named his penis, but I was like, Rangus Dangus is, I, I don't know. That came into my head and I was like, like, that's you so, gotta say it. that's yep. so dumb. That's, and I was like, that is the kind of thing a person who's never had sex would say about his, about his <laughs> genitalia. Um, so I thought it, I thought it was justifiable. Um, th- this episode is a really good example of, of what a great editor um, Seth is and how important, the edit is um, to the show because um, just in the same way that Shane very obviously is sort of a seventh character on the show oh, yeah. by or seventh performer in the show by adding the mix um, I think you know the edit is uh, is such a huge part and that's the part you don't really hear especially when it's done right is you don't really know that it's edited and um, and of course you know we all do but like it, it you don't it doesn't trip you up when you're listening to it. you don't notice the edit when you're listening to it and i think that that this episode it, it actually i remember after we recorded it it felt a lot like um the shatana episode where we were like oh, man did we go too far was that too weird like did that make sense is it going to hold together and it was just the edit that brought it all together there was a bunch of crazy shit that happened at the end there like the there's probably half an hour of like insanity before the planet blows up and we were just like what the fuck is happening um and the edit really uh really kind of that was our way of of being like <clears throat> you know in the same way that if you're in a writer's room you're sitting around you know throwing ideas against the wall and seeing what works 
and we're just doing that while we record. So being able to say like, okay, we're going to cherry pick these half dozen things that really work and putting them in there, it doesn't, you know, in that way, it's less like, oh, we're editing out the bad shit that we said and more just like, oh, we were just recording this brainstorm and we're picking this stuff that works. Yeah. Um, and it, don't get me wrong, that it, it, it still was a fucking insane, ridiculous episode, but <laughs> I felt like it held together a lot better than we thought it was going to in the room. We, 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 we just uh, we were talking about this episode. We loved how the riddles were vaguely recognizable, but just spun in such a way that they just they just work for the world. Right, right. And we established the Garfon, which is a indeed a yeah integral <laughs> integral character in the Ooh, fan favorite. The fauna of the world. <laughs> um, we did have a, a couple of uh, questions about the episode. Uh, why did you think Chad refused to go with them at the end and sort of preferred to to die with the planet? <sighs> That's a good question. I think that might be that might be one of the casualties of the edit that there was a time where I think I don't know if this I can't remember if this remained in the episode but he decided that if they were all going to die anyway he would take oh, one last chance to yep. crank one out. Yeah. Oh, yeah that, um that stayed in the and, episode. And I think that that in that disgusted us so much that we didn't want him to get on the stage. <laughs> um, so that part didn't. I think he was I think just that like, he, "Don't touch me right now." Yeah, <laughs> do not touch me right now. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, I think that there. I think it was. I think that in our in my head, what happened was that he, uh, that Chad didn't believe that we were gonna get away in time. So he's like, "Fuck everything! I'm gonna I'm gonna crank one out," and then uh, he did, and that that sort of lost him the ticket on the ship with us. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, also, we we were wondering. It, you mentioned in the episode the uh, the A fifty one paradox, and you guys said it with such conviction <laughs> that it sounded like like something established or something yeah. referenced, but we didn't we didn't know what it was. Um, you're gonna have to ask Jeremy about that because I don't remember. Uh, I don't okay. think we've ever. Est- to be honest, I don't think we've ever established it. But I I'm glad you, you brought said it up it, because. To be honest. Oh, oh, really? Yeah. That's the, why. What was the con? What was the context? Oh, it's a paradox where you keep getting closer to the answer but never really get it. Oh, right. right. The yeah. 51 paradox. And it's just like, okay, as if I'm like, wait, did I not get something? I, I should bring that back. I should bring that back and establish what that means. Hmm. Because I, one of the things I like that we do a lot is that we, that we, we set up a very obvious uh, parallel between a real earth thing and then make the, the Zix version much more complicated and shitty <laughs> like what's is it Zeno's paradox is that what it is the turtle thing I can't remember Ooh, it could be Ooh. Let me, I, I think that's what it is that's what I was referencing uh, hold on Zeno. I'm just gonna look it up yeah, because the, I have yeah. a computer the arrow and the turtle yep Zeno's paradoxes stuff. yeah yeah so yeah yeah so the idea is that every set of time the turtle gets half halfway to the finish line um and because of that the turtle will never reach the finish line because he's only ever half the distance between where he was last and where he is now or where he's going yeah so um it's dumb uh it's not a real (laughs) it's it's not a real thing you know um but uh uh yeah so so i just didn't want to i didn't want to evoke uh xeno so i just use the a51 paradox that makes sense but i will but i i I resolve to uh the C fifty three A fifty one a thing hmm. that it's a robot that was trying to build uh, 
something and could only build half of it. Oh, like a philosodroid or something like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. A philosodroid is good. Or maybe it will. I'll just make it way more stupid and complicated that it was using some sort of resource with Half-Life or something like that that has a... Where the story breaks down doesn't actually mean anything. <laughs> I mean, not to... Not to pitch anything super but like it could be a mission to discover the meaning of existence but they annoy the droid so much it's like nope not (laughs) you know (laughs) perfect yeah good yeah a51 is like the first true ai and it was so annoyed by everyone it just left (laughs) (laughs) all right so that's the end of part one of our special x mars episode please come back next week for the second part to hear alden answer a whole bunch more questions so, as always, you can find us on Twitter at, at ZixFanCast, or you can email us at ZixFanCast at gmail.com. Keep it fresh. Toot, toot, toot. Toot, toot, toot!